If you are a businesswoman working to amplify your six and seven figure business from success to significance, then you know it's not just about the right strategies or the right tactics. It's more and more about high caliber people around you, your team, your collaborators, and advisors that can open doors for you and widen your reach. Welcome to your Circle of Influence podcast with your hosts, Dr. Monica Ogando and Amy Walker. Welcome to your Circle of Influence podcast. I am your co-host, Amy Walker. With Dr. Monica Ogando. And we're so excited that you're here today. Today, we are talking about a super fantastic, amazing topic in business that is so up Monica's alley. And I am here to be the Amen Chorus Girl. Like, yeah. Oh, mm, good. <laughs> oh, Monica, we're talking about money moves to make as a CEO. And I honestly, I'm, I'm here to support you in your greatness because I know this is your zone of genius and yeah. not mine. I've been waiting for this podcast for so long. I was like, I'm prepared to completely nerd out. <laughs> I like nerdy Monica. Yeah. Yeah. She's pretty cool. She's knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of the reason why it's important for us to consider money moves to make as a CEO is because I was talking to Amy offline earlier and we were talking about in the Bible, there's a story of a king who had, who had seven years of abundance and prosperity to prepare for seven years of famine. And he was mm -hmm. told this, right? And so if you live long enough, you know that economic cycles do that also. There's yep. a peak and there's a valley. And the unfortunate thing is that even economists themselves, they can see trends and they can forecast some things, but it's never like a sure science of like, this is when it's going to start. So you can just kind of get the haziness. It's kind of like when you look outside and you see the clouds coming, you're like, I don't know when it's going to rain, but I know that it's going to. Mm -hmm. And so when you make these money moves as a CEO, then you can be prepared for the highs and the lows. And that's yes. what I love about it. Amen. <laughs> no, I actually do have an opinion about that <laughs> because- oh, um, I think that you're incredibly right there where it's, it's preparation. And I feel like that is part of your responsibility as the CEO is to protect the financial health and well-being of the company. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm the best at knowing exactly what steps I need to take, but I, I know I'm looking at my business cause you know, we've been through COVID we've been through uh, quarantine, we've been through slowdown and I'm looking at my business going, gosh, I'm so grateful for some of the decisions I made two years ago, yeah. um, that have put me in a, a spot right now where I'm not peeing my pants terrified, right? Like things are okay. Yeah. Um, and, and it's the, it's the inspiration that came a couple of years ago that I didn't, I didn't know, you know, like, when is this going to matter? How is it going to matter? But it felt important and we made some changes. And um, so, yes, I'm totally with you on that. Okay, good. So then let me, let me start talking about, I'm going to assume that we are operating from a place of let's get prepared. And there may be some people for whom preparation time is too late. Now they're just fixing, but this applies there too. So mm -hmm. step number one, we're going to start with listening to what your clients or your customers need and then try to give that to them because your customers and clients are going to remember what you did in times of crises for a very long time. 
in terms mm-hmm. of customer service, in terms of content, in terms of your tone, your helpfulness, your visibility. And so it's important that you think about it from a place of how can I contribute and how can I um, be a trusted advisor for some people who are like in consulting or coaching or speaking, et cetera, then being a trusted advisor is key in, in those moments of crises. And when you are a provider, when you provide content, when you provide um, certain deliverables, et cetera, then your reliability and your proactiveness in, in communication goes a long way in establishing and deepening that trust and intimacy with your customers and clients. So that's, that's true regardless of whether we're in times of prosperity or times of uh, crises, but it's especially important when things are in, in flux, you know? So that's number one. I totally agree with that. And one of the things that I will say too is there's so much opportunity right now because if we're being completely honest, the business uh, fork or what's the word, horizon is going to change. Mm-hmm. And so all the companies that we look at when we look around right now, there will be new innovative leaders that we've never even heard of yet. Mm-hmm. And there will be businesses that we are just so used to seeing that are going to go away. And the ones that are going to, that are here now and are going to come through it and be stronger are the ones that are going to be really in tune with their customers yep. and adjusting to meet the current needs because we don't leave, live in a world with less needs. Mm-hmm. We just live in a world with different needs. Amen. See, I'm going to name in corner for you too, Amy Walker. <laughs> All right. So now money move number two. If your company is in a good financial position, then I want you to think long-term. I mean, many businesses are sometimes already in a tenuous position before any crisis ever happens externally. So if you think about um, the supply-demand curve that you probably learned about in your Econ 101 course in college, (laughs) the supply curve probably shifts up and to the left after a crisis because fewer businesses exist to buy goods and to buy services. So that means that the quantity supplied of goods and services will be lower and the price that you can command will be higher. So if your company survives a crisis, then having fewer businesses to compete with will mean higher profits for you long-term. So if your company is mm-hmm. in a good financial position, then it gives it a good chance of surviving any crisis. So you wanna implement that strategy into your long-term plan. You wanna think about, all right, how do I now position myself to be able to capture any level of opportunity? Okay, so that's So what if, what if though, Monica, they are the business owners who feel like they got caught with their pants down and they're like, oops, Mm-hmm. and they're not in a good financial spot, what do they do? Mm-hmm. So I want you to know your net, um, your net number. Net profit margin is the single most important financial metric. And I don't know that I talk about this enough because a company's net profit margin indicates the amount of profit that they make for each dollar of sales, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just, and the way to calculate it is just your net income, right? So you have your gross income that comes in your, and then you deduct the cost of goods sold and that's your net income you divide that by sales so consider that metric to be kind of like an insurance hedge because it shows you the ability of your company to still be profitable if the dollars decrease so Mm, it's often an overlooked metric even when analysts are evaluating public companies they don't typically look at that so just knowing and tracking and guarding that metric will will take you through a lot of hard times so let me give you an example let's say that company a has i don't know $100 $100 in sales and $20 mm-hmm. in profit out of that $100. But company B has $200 in sales and $30 in profit. So you might look at those two companies and say that company B is healthier because it has higher sales and more profits, but you have to dig deeper because the net profit margin tells a different story. Company A 
has 20% net profit margin and company B has 15%. So company A is more efficient in getting 20 cents out of every dollar in sales. Whereas, and so it's, it may be easier for them to scale and less vulnerable if sales drop slightly. Um, and so you wanna make sure that you're looking at your net profit margin so that you can see where you can capture those opportunities. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the other thing about that is that is to think cash flow positive also, because positive cash flow can free you up to think strategically. A lot of times when people see, I call it bank balance accounting, you know, they look at the bank balance and like, that's how much money I have. <laughs> and yeah. that's not necessarily true. So you want to look at um, uh, how much money do you have that is already committed, right? To pay your bills, to pay payroll, et cetera, et cetera. Because if you're worried about cash all the time, then your number one priority is survival, right? And positive cash flow frees you up to think strategically instead of just thinking about how you're going to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. When companies go under, usually the primary culprit is lack of positive cash flow. Now that yes. seems obvious, but in my experience with, with working with many companies, uh, they don't have a healthy command of this cash flow going up and down. And a lot of times what happens is, um, so for example, if you sell $100 in products, but all those sales are on account, then you're not positive cash. You just have $100 in accounts receivables, right? Yeah. Like non-cash assets on your balance sheet. So even though you've generated $100 in sales, you didn't receive any cash. So now you can't pay anything with that. Mm-hmm. You know? So it, it, has to be, it has to be thinking net cash flow positive so that you can make those moves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Amen. Totally. <laughs> I like it. I like it. The other thing that I think sometimes people don't consider uh, a lot of times is, is being proactive about the um, tax breaks that, that sometimes are overlooked by small business owners. So I know that tax season can be very overwhelming. I know we just went through that. And then for some people, they just, you know, postpone it as long as they can. They get tax extensions, tax filing extensions and so forth. But you want to look at um, ways that you can leverage what you already do in your business, what you already do, the expenses that you already have and you can, how you can leverage them as, as um, for your taxes. So for example, for freelancers, particularly and solo proprietors, if you have lunch meetings, you know, with a business partner, with employees, with potential clients, et cetera, as long as the dining expenses are reasonable, you're allowed to deduct 50% of your costs. That adds up. If you have mm-hmm. a, a meal with somebody every week, you have some level of meeting or some level of um, connection or business development um, event, et cetera, then you can deduct half, half of that. The same thing with your cell phone. If you use your personal cell phone for business calls, you can deduct half of that. Uh, you can deduct healthcare premiums. If you have to pay your individual health plan and pay your healthcare premiums out of pocket without any tax break, then you can probably claim those premiums as an income tax deduction. So all of these things, of course, I'm going to tell you to check in with your accountant, with your finance professional. Don't go to the IRS when they audit you and say, Dr. Monica said, okay? Because that's not going to be a good reason. You want to <laughs> check in with your finance professional, with your accountant. But then also, um, you can manage your taxable income as well. So this is all under the tax strategy. Um, you can your tax rates sometimes vary significantly, almost by, sometimes by 10% for individuals and corporations from one bracket to the other. So let's say that your company's an LLC and you're several weeks away from the end of the business year and you check your taxable income and you find out that so far it's, I don't know, 80 grand. And you need to purchase some new equipment. 
uh, let's say, you know, one of the podcasts that we talked about video marketing, maybe you need capital expenses to buy your video equipment or whatever. Let's say mm -hmm. that that costs you 15 grand. If you make those purchases now, they'll push your taxable income back down to 65. So that puts you in the 50 to 75,000 income bracket, which is 25%, as opposed to if you wait, your business will be in the 75 to $100,000 bracket, which is 34%. So if you time those uh, purchases, you can manage your taxable income and then you can minimize your, your tax liability in that way, which again, goes a long way in keeping you cash flow positive, which is very important when you're managing yourself from survival to success, make sense? Yeah. Are you going to talk at all about um, entities and how to save taxes with a corporation? Well, yeah. This I mean, is one thing I know. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we had to bring it in <laughs> the conversation. <laughs> so a lot of times what happens is with particularly with one man shop or one woman shop, it's just you and you and mm -hmm. it, it's your name and it's your company and it, you're operating as a sole proprietor. I always, always tell people to create a corporate entity, whether it's an S corporation, I prefer S over C, and, and it, it's too much to get into here. But basically, the S is a pass-through corporation where you can actually just claim your taxes in your personal income as opposed to having to pay twice at the corporate level and at the personal level. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the summary on that. Um, or you can use an LLC. And there, the LLC is a little bit more flexible. Um, and so I always recommend that even if you're still operating as a sole proprietor, still use one of your corporate entities that are available to you so that you can um, create kind of like a corporate veil, right? And create some separation between your personal money and your personal income and that of the company, because that also yeah. minimizes your liabilities. Well, and as a sole proprietorship, all of your income is um, taxable as income and it's also taxable as you're, you're, you're going to pay the um, self-employment tax. Whereas as the corporation, you can take, you can pay yourself wages and dividends. Yep. And so the wages are going to be taxed twice, but the dividends are only going to be taxed once. That's exactly right. Amy Walker. Oh Amy Walker knows something about business finance. Oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next tip is borrow wisely. Sometimes when people get into a, a money crunch, they're thinking, okay, well, let me just go ahead and borrow some money. I can put the, um, you know, their home, they get a home equity line of credit or they get a line of credit for their business, et cetera. You might not be ready to borrow because you have to remember that the central problem with borrowing money is that it needs to be paid back every single month, independently of how your business is doing. So it's a bit of a truism, but if you don't owe money, then you can't go bankrupt. I have no problem with borrowing money to expand a proven business model. When you know that your business model is working, then aggressive expansion through borrowing might be a great thing. And my experience with entrepreneurs is that sometimes they pull that trigger too early. And when companies borrow too early, they're often saddled into making short-term decisions that are based on cash flow constraints instead of long-term strategic decisions that can make them successful. So there's debt that costs you money and then there's debt that makes you money. And you want to always make sure that your debt makes you money instead. Well, what you said in there is you need to borrow to expand a proven model. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people borrow when they have problems and yep. getting a loan when you have problems is like burning cash because yep. it won't fix the problems it will literally just burn through them. You'll still have the same issues that you had before, but now you have more cash moving through those problems. Yep, 
Yeah, exactly. And then finally, my final tip, and this is something that I, I'm always going to stand on this. This is the hill that I will die on every single time. And that is that if you're, that if you don't have an emergency savings fund, I call it a freedom unlimited fund for your company, not just for yourself, but for your company, then start one. Because as a, if you're going to take a hit, then it's amazing what, how you make decisions differently when you have a cushion. I, mm -hmm. When I started my company, um, you know, I kind of took some of those best practices from personal finance into business. I started an investment account for the company, right? And so what ended up happening was every time income would come in, I would put it into the income, uh, into the investment account and have it grow aggressively. I was investing for income. And so what happened was I started in 2000, 2001, we had 9-11 and then all my clients dried up. And what was I going to do? about, and I had one remaining client. So then what was I going to do about all my other expenses? My investment account saved my life because then it's like, I'm not dependent on, I have to hustle up and I have to get a job or I have to get more clients or I have to, you know, discount my services so that I can just get some cash in here. Conserving cash in times of crisis is everything. So if you can put some money aside when times are good, invest it so that it grows on itself and then when you need it, you have a cushion and you can actually be in more integrity with your clients because then you're not taking clients out of desperation. You're doing it because it makes sense for your business. Yeah. Love it. Those are my tips. Those are the tips. They're great tips. I hope that everybody will actually listen to them and implement them because I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs right now are feeling the vulnerability of their business that maybe, and, and that's the way that I'm looking at this is I'm looking at it as an experience that showed me where I was vulnerable. So I can now go out and create more strength in those areas. So those are good tips. I'm going to listen back to this one and I'm going to make Steven listen to him too. Steven Walker, <laughs> listen to Monica's tips. This is what we need to do. So thank you for sharing. And for all of our listeners, um, we always like to leave you with a listener challenge. So my challenge is, I think sometimes with finance, we uh, get a little overwhelmed. I want you to pick one of those tips and I want you to implement it. Mm -hmm. Whether it is that you're going to start a, an investment account for your business or that you're going to look at your entity and make sure it's right or you're going to check out your tax bracket, make sure you're maximizing your tax benefits, whatever tip you want to choose, pick one and implement it this week. Is that good, mm -hmm. Monica? I like it. Yes. You like it. Action. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you being on. And as always, if there's any questions that you have for us, please pop them in. We'd actually love to do some Q&A episodes where Monica and I just answer your questions. Mm -hmm. We think it could be really juicy and fun. So send those along. Uh, please leave us a review, share this with other entrepreneurs in your tribe and connect with us on social media at your circle of influence. Thank you so much, everyone, for being on with us today. Thanks, Monica. All right. Talk to you soon, everybody. You have worked hard and you've earned your place at the table of influence. Wouldn't it be great to have a board of advisors that celebrate your wins, support your growth, and challenge your blind spots? That's why we host our influencer circles for six and seven figure business women. If you are a high achieving entrepreneur woman who wants a deep dive in business strategy, collaboration, and strategic relationships, go to yourcircleofinfluence.com forward slash influencers and reserve a spot in one of our upcoming circles.